0: Um, so, uh, uh, guys, we've got Noah Rubin live uh, with us right now today. Um, so, for those of you who do not know, he's a professional uh, tennis player on the ATP circuit. He's also won the Juniors in Wimbledon uh, in 2014, I think. So, and uh, he's also the uh, USDA uh, former champion from uh, the Junior National Champion. And he's also the man behind uh, the initiative behind the racket.com. So, uh, thanks for joining us, Noah. How, how are you doing?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you.
0: So, um, how, how how's it been? Like the last um, 70 or 80 days, there's been no tennis match, there's been no active traveling for you guys. So, how have you been managing uh, your schedule? How, how does your day look like?
1: Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I'm I'm super busy right now with behind the racket. Uh, you know, it's allowing me to have time to do all the interviews I want. People are all on the couches around the world, so it's giving me that time. Um, but I haven't picked up a racket in over a month now besides some dumb videos I made outside in the street. But uh, so, yeah, it's been difficult and this is kind of the longest I've been without a racket when I've been able to have a racket in my hand. So it's been tough.
0: How do you think this is going to affect you in the in the long run? Like, uh, I don't know if the tour is going to resume until September or October maybe. So uh, how do you think this is going to affect you personally?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, I need some real time to get back into playing shape. I mean, you know, I need probably a month minimum until I feel comfortable to play matches. I mean, you know, we're all in the same boat. So that's just kind of how it is. Um, It's going to take some time after that to feel comfortable again because I was feeling pretty good on the court before going uh, into this pandemic. So it was kind of tough timing, but you know, it's something we're dealing with and, you know, we have to understand that people's lives are far more important.
0: What about your fitness routines? Have you, have you been able to keep up with your fitness regimes right now?
1: I mean, it's not my normal ones. I don't think there's a need for it. Um, You know, I've been, I did in the first couple of weeks kind of Similar workouts that I do in tennis, and then I got bored and didn't see the need for it anymore, to be honest. is uh, So I'm doing different ones with my girlfriend, having some more fun, still really intense, but shorter periods of time. Just making sure I get a sweat in every day, um, and I'm definitely sweating after these workouts.
0: How do you think, and when do you think the tour is going to resume on a realistic level?
1: I mean, you know, tennis is probably one of the best sports for quarantine and and, i mean social distancing rules but at the same time it's probably the worst sport when you talk about the actual p and wta life so yeah i mean it's great if you want to play with your friend it's probably the first sport to come back because you're on other sides of the courts and everything like that but you know when you get into tournaments you're talking about international travel you're talking about people coming from all over the world where there literally cannot be one single ban on anything um or any travel or any country And, you know, that's very difficult. I don't see that happening for a few months. I mean, probably 2021 is probably my best guess.
0: That's tough. That's tough. So uh, what do you think the players, um, I mean, the elite and the top players have um, kind of managing it very, very nicely. but, But what about the players down the rankings? You know, I mean, have they been able to cope up with the situation pretty nicely?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, anybody outside of the top 100 really um, are worrying about the rent, you know, worrying how to pay their mortgage, worrying about how to pay their rent. And it gets very difficult, you know, tennis is a sport that you don't make a lot of money in and it's tough to save up money. So, you know, this is why I'm trying to use this time to benefit tennis, hopefully, but it's very difficult. There's a lot of moving parts. So anybody really outside of 100, you know, you're going to be dealing with financial issues.
0: And, and could you talk about your, I mean, have you heard from uh, other players as to how um, how they've been managing or uh, uh, whether or not the ATP has been helping them out in these tough uh, situations?
1: Yeah, I mean, for right now, nobody's helping. Um, you know, it's just how it is. So a lot of the players are struggling. Um, I've, I made a group chat with about 100 tennis players in it from 100 to two fifty in the world, some the top 100 as well. Um, just hearing from them, you know, trying to get their feels and what you know they think we should be moving forward with so it's it's been difficult to hear from them how much they've been struggling i don't know what we're going to be doing obviously there's a relief fund but that's only going to help for a very short period of time i think we really have to use this time to change the sport of tennis so you know we take some major leaps and then you know can do better in the long run
0: uh, so you say that the uh, player initiative, the fund initiative that has been launched by Djokovic uh, in the couple of months, in, in the recent weeks, that is. So you you you're telling me that these uh, the help is going to come only for the next couple of months.
1: Yeah. Well, you're talking about you know, let's say they manage to, let's use these numbers of two fifty to seven hundred in the world are going to get five or ten thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean it's great, and they need that money. I do think the numbers are off. I do think you know the 250 to 700 ranking point is off and that's a little bit skewed, should be a little bit lower. I don't know if a guy 700 in the world deserves a check for that much right now. I mean, that's just the, the honest opinion of it all. But um, again, you're talking about five to $10,000. Great. A lot of people are not getting that, but that can only help for X amount of months. And then after that, we're going to be in the same situation all over again. So even if tennis comes back, I think we have to use this time to make the sport more exciting, to bring new fans to the sport, to really break down the sport and what's wrong with it so we can have a better sport to come for many, many years.
0: And um, I mean, this is an issue that uh, I think many players, including Vasik Pospisil and many others like you have raised it on Twitter, that the pay gap between the elite players and the lower ranked players is, is very huge. And this is... Uh, not not there to be seen in the rest of the sports, but in tennis, it's it's huge. Why do you think that has been happening?
1: You know, you look, you know, recently, again, I, re- I saw something that I posted on Twitter. It was just a poll that they made. And for the highest paid athletes in the world, um, two of them were from individual sports, which was Roger Federer and Tiger Woods. But then it showed that 90%, or over 90% of their money was coming from endorsements. So you're talking about, you know, where anybody really outside of a hundred, if you don't have something cool to show the world, if you're not very, very highly marketable, you're going to, you know, you're not going to have that many endorsements if any, then from there, you're talking about, okay, so that's that 90% piece that you're already losing out on. Now you're dealing about the 10% piece. And then if you're dealing, you know, if you're playing challengers compared to slams, I mean, the the money is three, four times, uh, 10 times the amount. So it gets very difficult if you don't have the prize money or the endorsements, you, there's no money for you. So that's what we're dealing with right now is that, you know, the, the tournaments that are successful are the ones at the top, the thousands, the grand slams, and only X amount of players can play those. So for qualifying guys around two, 250 in the world, they have to make sure they do well at a grand slam just to make, a little bit extra money here and there.
0: Coming back to the first point that you made that the sponsorships and the deals the 90% that you're talking about how do you think these players can leverage this 90% because right now social media i think has a lot of um wingspan that you would call for each player so do you think the lower ranked players should be you know propagating themselves more on social media platforms
1: yeah, I think they could be doing a lot more. I think even the guys that say, I only play video games, I only do this, and I'm like, Okay, so live stream it, Twitch, do something, you know. I think as tennis players it gets very difficult because a lot of them are taught from an early age, like even if you have a different passion, put it to the side, only focus on tennis. And I think that becomes a very difficult thing. So they become one dimensional. And for guys that even like, you know, you have the Kyrgyz or Medvedev and they love video games, like twitch it more. And, you know, these are some of the guys that don't need to market themselves any further. It's the guys that are 75 in the world, 100 in the world, 225 in the world that have to do a better job in marketing. And, you know, I'm fortunate to build behind the racket, but not everybody has that. So use what you have, whether it's playing music. And I think this pandemic has allowed players to, you know, look at their other passions and to allow them to market. So hopefully once tennis comes back, this doesn't change their perspective and allows them to keep this going. But you never know. I think, you know, a lot of people around them are telling them, make sure you focus on tennis. You can do this for right now, but when you come back, focus on tennis, focus on tennis. So I think, you know, it's not only the players faults by any means. Tennis has done a very bad job of marking the players, but I think the players have a little bit to do with it.
0: And what do you think about the tennis structure? Because I think um, every organization working on its own has created a kind of... uh, difference in communication as as well as uh, the players listening to the organizations and vice versa. So do you think there is a change that needs to come in uh, uh, let's say a monopoly of organization for tennis?
1: Yeah I mean you know in my head the ideal situation is connecting all the seven entities together and that's a very tough thing to do between WTA, ATP, ITF and the four slams. It's you know that's a lot of moving parts and I just My biggest issue is I don't think they see a vision. I don't think they have a vision that says, hey, I know us slams are making the most money right now, but if we all combine and work together, there's more money five years from now. And I just Mm -hmm. don't know if they see it or if they're not willing to take the chance, whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's really preventing the sport from moving forward. So I think that's been a very, very difficult situation and I don't know how to get around that. I mean, I've, done, I've spoken to everybody on all fronts and it's tough to get everybody on the same page. So that's what we're dealing with. There's just too many moving parts and too many conflicts of interest.
0: Well, we've seen some movements happening in the past 16 months with um, with the chairman Karmor getting replaced and Djokovic getting re-elected as the president, a couple of players leaving the Players Council to make way for Federer and Nadal. and. You know, right now, again, Federer coming out with the statement that WTA and uh, ATP uh, should come together to merge. So do you think in the uh, next couple of months, we might see some huge movements coming up?
1: I think it might take longer than that. I think a merger really takes some real time and thought into it, um, especially if it's further than just the ATP and WTA merging together. You know, with the player council movement, I'm not a huge fan of it. I know those guys are working hard, but, you know, I'm not a big fan of having the Nadal and Federer in the players council. I think there's a lot of different ways we have to go about it. Um, you have a guy like Federer and Nadal. They don't need to be a part of it. Anything they say, they'll, you know, they have the platform to speak already. So I think we need more guys outside the top hundred, guy like myself, a guy like some of the other players I'm working with that really care about it to have the input because, Right now, we don't feel like we have a voice as much, even though we're the same guys playing slams as well. Um, So that's been difficult. And I don't know if Federer and Nadal are up for, you know, what it really takes to be a member of the council and communicate and be open to talks. And, you know, that's fine. They're very busy. I understand that. But don't sign up for the job then. Maybe this is not the right place for you guys. So you can do it on your own time. Federer can literally tweet out something, and it's going to be caught by the whole tennis community. So, you know, there's really no need. And if you really needed to, he can call the player council, and anybody's going to pick up to Federer. So that's not an issue. So I think him taking one of the spots is a problem as well as Nadal.
0: That's an interesting uh, view that you've given because uh, I think Djokovic uh, being the head of the president, I mean, the president of the council seems to be okay with these couple of guys coming in and he's given his opinions as... Uh, you know, that uh, it gives you as, I mean, the lower ranked players, a platform that because these guys have more weight when they talk. So maybe they do have a point in appointing these two people again into the Players' Council.
1: You know, again, having Federer and Nadal on the side is, is great. I think they're great for tennis. They've done amazing things for the sport. I think they will continue to. I just think using those spots for those guys is not helping the overall cause of the Players' Council. If you have a meeting... And Federer is super interested. If he's still interested, which I don't even know if he is, if he's very interested in being involved. He, and Nobody will say no to Federer. He will be in that meeting. He can be a part of it. So I think using one of those spots, I, I just think it hurts the overall outcome and what the Players' Council was for. So you know, I'm talking to my friend, everybody, in 100 to 250, and we don't feel like we're a part of the communication process. And I think that's been a problem which I'm trying to fix.
0: So how do you think, uh, what do you think is the first step to fixing this problem and where does it start?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of guys at the top of the sport. I mean, you know, you're talking, I've spoken to the Vaseks and Djokovic and all these guys and, you know, trying to, I think I've made a name for myself and I'm trying to help the sport of tennis. I'm trying to help Mm -hmm. the players in it and I think they understand that. So, you know, in the end, I'm trying to take pressure off their plate as well as helping them out and doing it my own way as well because I don't agree with everything they do but I'm telling them like hey you don't have to go to the guys 102 50 I can take care of them I can tell them what's up I can be the middleman of communication while also doing whatever I'm doing to try to help the sport you know it's it's a lot of groundwork there's a lot of tennis players that need to be taken care of and allow Vastic uh to take care of one to a hundred he's good at that he's done that he knows those guys i'll take care of 100 and 250 i've gained their respect and their trust and then you know that will allow for better momentum and more communication
0: so you uh so the initiative behind the racket like you were speaking about it how has that been helping out in uh, raising this awareness uh, in the entire tennis community
1: yeah, I think it's been great. I think it's brought a new level of, ex- of excitement to the sport of tennis because you know, I built it solely you know, for a few reasons. But one, because I thought, like I said before, that tennis doesn't market the players well. It <laughs> markets the top three players very well, but that's it. So you don't really know what's going on in the other players. And in the individual sport like tennis, in order to follow the sport and follow the players in it, you have to know who they are. You have to know Ooh. what kind of people they are. You have to know their story. You have to relate to them. I don't think that was done before at all. So that's why I really built this to bring that new level of excitement, to bring new fans to the sport so you can relate to them on a deeper level.
0: And how has it been managing two things on your plate right now? Because, you know, your career has been, I mean, you've done Wimbledon Junior, so that's a huge thing for you. Maybe you would have wanted to build on that a little bit more rather than focusing on, you know, behind the back. So How has it been?
1: Yeah, I mean, Behind the Racket is only a year old. So, you know, I had time on the professional tour. I think, honestly, Behind the Racket has helped me in a lot of cases. You know, I was in some dark places in tennis where I didn't want to play anymore, where I didn't want to compete anymore. I was very unhappy in the system of tennis and Behind the Racket, you know, gave light to, you know, happiness in my life. It gave a, a way for my passions. and And so I don't have to put all my eggs into tennis because I love tennis, but I don't love the system of it. So it allowed me to have almost these forms of therapy to help people to be involved in so many other things that I wanted to do while doing, you know, my first passion and love, which is playing tennis, but not focusing about the results as much. And it's allowed me like right before this pandemic, I was in the best place mentally I was, I got some great wins right before um, the pandemic, and I feel good. And it's just about putting happiness on a pedestal.
0: You've mentioned before uh, on your blog that um, uh, you've taken inspiration from a Facebook page named Humans of New York. So, um, how how do you think that has helped in uh, instigating your message here?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was when I first came up with the account. It was three o'clock in the morning in New York. I was jet lagged coming back from the Australian Open. This was 2019, and I was looking at the Humans of New York page. And this was at a time that I was already thinking about what can I be doing to utilize my downtime and also to make a difference and i was like this has to be i l- always love this account humans in new york i was like how is this not done really at all in the sports world and specifically tennis where you know you're, you're not wearing a helmet or a mask you have to know the individuals and that's where i started and within 3 days i trademarked it i had the url i had the instagrams i had my logo i had my first story up and it just it was just so quick and then i really believed in it and it's incredible to see you know how much it's grown
0: And how, how have the players uh, responded to you uh, during the interviews? Like, do they do they get really personal with you? And uh, how are the questions?
1: Yeah, I mean, recently, I mean, you know, it, I didn't know what it was going to be like. You have I'm asking really, really tough questions and, and players aren't used to it. And they didn't know if they felt safe at first. But, you know, I'm, I'm, they, I think they understood I'm giving them the best environment to give them a platform to share their story. And it's been incredible. I mean, people have thanked me, I've cried with people, they've hugged me. It's been incredible feedback in a place like social media where there's hate mail everywhere and people are crapping on everything. I think this has given everybody a chance to be positive and, you know, you feel the support. And I think that's been incredible. That's
0: really great to hear. So, um, a couple of other questions uh, we've got from uh, fans that I'd like to address. So, um, what has been your most memorable match?
1: I mean, it's it's most memorable match. It's tough not to put Federer in play. That was obviously an incredible match. Beating John Isner was great, but I think my first Grand Slam win, which was Benoit Paire six six and six first round of Australian Open. You know definitely is up there as one of my top matches but you know each match i've played you know i have a list of 10 let's say each match has a different place in my heart for one reason or or another
0: all right so uh are you are you a video game fan i mean do you play video games and have you been playing the i mean watching the madrid open right now i mean the one which marie won
1: yeah that was interesting to see I, I, you know i be honest i got kind of bored of it after a while i watched like five minutes and it's fine you know i I just don't love tennis video games that much besides mario tennis maybe uh but i am a video gamer you know i haven't had that much downtime but i do play nhl actually which i'm sure nobody plays i love it i love hockey um and call of duty every once in a while I, i get on here but i've been super busy with behind the racket this is kind of Call it you know any of these games is a way to decompress and slow down a little bit.
0: Um, who have you idolized um, throughout your life?
1: Yeah, I think growing up, you know, as three players, it was James Blake as the American for me or Andre Agassi. Blake, I always loved watching. I mimicked a lot of my my backhand off of Agassi, and then you know uh, David navandian and Lane Hewitt, you know, huge fighters people I loved watching and people, you know, I've always loved that back end side um, of the sport. And, you know, they were just unbelievable competitors.
0: So um, have you got any uh, close, really close mates on the tour? And um, if, if so, then who are they?
1: Close mates, you said?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, at this point, I've gotten very close with people through behind the racket, but, you know, the Americans have a, a great connection. I think it's been this, you know, I at first... I don't, I I start out pretty introverted at times, and then I started opening up a lot more. And I think players see that I'm pretty friendly. I make a lot of jokes. I'm super sarcastic. Um, and I, yeah, there's a I mean, for the most part, inside the top, you know, 100 to 250, I'm friends with almost everybody on tour at that point. There's a few guys here and there, and then a decent amount inside the top 100 as well. I mean, behind the racket has really brought a lot of people together
0: um the so so if you were to give us a date as to um, when tennis has to resume well, what would that be
1: i think it's going i mean i think you you're going to see these exhibitions around the world but true tennis tournaments i think australian open 2021 maybe even later
0: okay um, could you give us a uh, quick this thing? I mean, a uh, quick build up on your perfect player as to what in your head would be a perfect player, like uh whose backhand would you prefer, whose serve would you prefer?
1: Uh perfect player. Um Serve would probably be Kyrgyz or Isner would probably be it's a tough that's a tough one because Kyrgyz was probably the toughest serve I ever faced, but Isner is obviously incredible um forehand the james blake forehand is probably my favorite forehand backhand probably djokovic uh yeah uh fitness probably either djokovic or Nadal returns djokovic volleys fed um tough uh movement monfils or myself <laughs> um what else do we got yeah I, I think it's tough i think it's tough i think there's more too many guys out there but you know you're gonna get the same guys for a lot of the great attributes yeah i mean and then men- the mentality is probably nadal as well Nadal, dollar for um those are the two guys i always think of
0: um, and, and you've been through some tough times, uh, with injury, um, in your career. So, uh, how do you think injury affects tennis players? And, um, uh, how do you think it's gonna, I mean, the, 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 technology and everything, how's, how's that been helping out with the, uh, recuperation time?
1: Yeah. I mean, injuries are very, very tricky in tennis because you lose your ranking. You know, it's not like other sports where you just hop back on the team. You're losing your ranking. You're going down. You're not making money it's just kind of a snowball effect where you're sad and then losing money and dealing with it on your own. And it's a very difficult situation. I've dealt with it uh, two and a half times at this point. So, um, you know, I think this time down is different because we're all kind of dealing with it at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I think you just have to make the most of it and make sure you're prepared to the best of your ability in every other way scenario before stepping on court.
0: All right. Um, thanks. Thanks for thanks for your time with us. I think uh, this was a great conversation. Yes. Uh, thank you for having me.